When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Pluto.com, Doug Lindrace and Scott Pasco talking Browns Red Zone this week. And Scott, sometimes as a football boy, I'm at that point of the season. Sometimes I say to my, my wife when I'm busy, I'm saying, I need a break from being a football boy. But I'm being a football boy. We're in November. Ohio State Browns. It's all I do. And Ohio State's struggling in the red zone right now, too. And so the Browns aren't being great in the red zone. And sometimes, Scott, I think, who is good in the red zone? This field shrinks. The DBs, the secondary, everybody comes up. You can't threaten anybody deep. Of course it's more difficult. What's the big deal? Is there? Is anybody actually great at this? We're going to talk about what the Browns can do better. But sometimes it's like, I don't know, man. It's a small area. What are you going to do? I will say that there is a little more uh, or you're not going to find as many teams rated highly in red zone scoring percentage year to year. There are teams that like over the last five years that have consistently been like top 10, like the Niners, Tennessee's been up there, Green Bay, um, Seattle, uh, all teams that have had, well, I mean, the Niners have had issues, but um, some successful teams. So it's not like there are teams that dominate year after year. But as you're going to see, I mean, the Browns were one of those teams last year. Yeah. Well, and, and so what makes me curious about this is <laughs> what makes me curious is what's wrong. No, it's like the personnel, because some of the, the teams you were describing there, it's like, all right, oh, Tennessee is good in the red zone. There's a shock. They have a, a boulder as a running back, right? I yes. do. Obviously, that's that's clear. Sometimes I do think quarterbacks who can sort of extend plays and keep things alive and find guys right in tight windows and rip throws. That makes sense. It's like, Oh, right. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is dancing around and then like flicking little stuff. That makes sense to me. But I, I do wonder sometimes like, are there core components about being good in the red zone that if you're going to say, here's the five things you need to do to be a good red zone team, it'd be this, 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 and this. Cause one thing about the Browns is they have a great offensive line. And by the way, I know you guys have talked about it on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We're going to dive in here in a second. Your guys staying. Do you want to talk to your got to watch the tape audience about Scott Patsko and Wyatt Teller remaining united in Cleveland and what that means for this city? That's a big deal. He's just, I don't know what happened. He, he was obviously great last year. And then this year didn't start off like that. PFF grading was really a lot lower, like he was in the sixties. That's yeah. not why I tell her run blocking, but then all of a sudden the last three games, it's like the switch has been flipped. He's, you know, over 90, he's leading the Browns in offensive uh, grade. He's out there just driving people into the dirt. Yeah. It's, it's huge. And especially because he, they use him on the move so much. Wyatt Teller pulling to the left or something is a lead blocker. And you're the, you know, skinny little cornerback sitting in the slot there. And here comes Wyatt Teller to, you know, just break you in two. That's, 
that's huge. So the offense works great with him and he has obviously just found the right situation to thrive here. So, so I like it. We should get one of those uh, stepo meters and put it on his wrist and count how many steps he takes in a game as a guard and then put a stepo meter on, you know, some other guard who's not pulling and throwing his body into the secondary every other play and uh, see what that's like. So see if you, when you see Wyatt, ask him if he'll wear a stepo meter for us. All right, let's start talking about the red zone. Wyatt Teller for that money, he better single-handedly solve the Browns red zone issues. Let's talk about that next. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, so a lot of good things happened in the Browns win against the Bengals, right? So you had a lot of things that didn't necessarily happen on a consistent basis prior to that. The Browns got turnovers. That was great. The, the pass defense played great uh, on offense. Baker Mayfield's the connecting on deep throws. Awesome. Like, these are all good things. But we're all about how the team can get better here on Gotta Watch the Tape, right? Maybe some people say we're negative, but I think we're more about how you can make yourself better, right? We're just about improving things. So one area that really stuck out in Sunday was game was how they performed in the red zone. Even Kevin Stefanski kind of alluded to it uh, on Monday when he mentioned how they were just two of four scoring uh, touchdowns in the red zone. They only got six points off turnovers. So he, he wants to do better than that. But when you pull it back, it's two of four scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So we're going to talk about that because you know the coaches are probably – trying to figure this out every week uh, because they're really not performing at the same rate they were last year. The performance this season has been unexpected because of what they did last season. The Browns were just like a revelation in the red zone in 2020. Kevin Stefanski was on fire. The team's execution was on fire. They finished the season 73% conversion rate in the red zone. And that's touchdown scored. That's not including field goals. That's just how often you, when you get into the red zone, you end up scoring touchdowns, 73%, which was fourth best in the league. They were scoring at an 80% clip through the first four weeks of last season. I know we were talking about it on this podcast that that probably wasn't sustainable, but it was just, it was incredible. Um, This year, after nine games, they're ranked 23rd. They're converting on under 55% of their red zone trips. Uh, In terms of uh, DVOA, which measures them against like an efficiency standpoint league average in the red zone again they rank 23rd they're performing 12 percent worse than the average offense much different than last year they were 22 percent better than the average offense in the red zone another way to look at this is by quarter uh because the browns you might remember really dominated in the second quarter last season they ended up outscoring opponents by 57 points in the second but it was really it was a larger gap for most of the season uh, and that was important because they were outscored in every other quarter that's how you end up with, you know, a negative point differential overall. Um, but this is where their red zone efficiency really helped them and maybe saved them. Their success rate on all plays in the red zone was over 50% in every quarter last year. And it was 65% in the second quarter. So that's not just touchdowns. That's just getting first downs or getting uh, enough positive yardage on every play to put you in a better position to get a first down or a touchdown, right? 65% in the second quarter. It was, and it was between 52, 55% in every other quarter. So they were good overall, just from an efficiency standpoint in the red zone. And as you might expect, this year has been a different story. They're again, crushing it in the second quarter. Uh, they're outscoring opponents 90 to 42 in the second quarter. They're up three points in the third, but they're being outscored in the other two corners. It's not helping that their red zone success has fallen to. They are not over 50% in any quarter this season. They're right at 50% for the second half. 
but they're at 42%, 48% in the first and second quarters. They're just not getting off to the kinds of starts um, efficiency-wise in the red zone that they had. Their success rate overall, 47% in the red zone this year, which ranks 15th. Uh, last season, they were 57%, which was just 2% off the league lead. So again, they're a league leader last year in the red zone. They're, they're middle of the pack to lower end of lower third of the, of the league in the red zone this year. Now, there are a couple of important areas where the Browns have continued to excel when it comes to reaching the end zone. And this is why they are not much, much worse than five and four right now. The Browns have not lost their ability to score on explosive plays. We saw that against the Bengals. They were tied for second last season in explosive plays, and they are currently ranked first in percentage of their plays that are deemed explosive and that's running and passing. So, you know, rushes of over 10 yards, passing plays 20 yards or more. That's why their average points per game hasn't really dropped. They were like 25 and a half last year. They're almost 25 this year. Basically the same thing. Another area they really kept up is goal to go situations. And I'm going to break this down a little more passing versus rushing. But overall, they're converting for touchdowns 70% of the time when they have goal to go, which is tied for 10th. They are. So that means yeah. that their their struggles are more like between the 10 and the 20 than between sort the 10 of. and the goal line. Yeah, that's really kind of getting to, yeah, once you get into the 20 and just kind of making it from there. When they get in the goal-to-goal situations, it's not that bad. But they were better last year. They were converting 81% last year. So it's not okay. the kind of drop-off they've had overall in the red zone. But anyways, if you're looking for you know a big reason for the difference between six and three last year after nine games and five and four this year, and just that general vibe of inconsistency around this year's offense, the red zone performance is a good place to look. Okay. All right. That's a good overview. We're going to dig in a little more specifically on the passing side of things, the rushing side of things, who should get the ball. We'll do that next. on got to watch the tape. Doug and Scott back. Make sure you're listening to the orange and Brown talk podcast. It's almost every day. Honestly, it's, 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 it's almost, I mean, it's constant. So it's in this feed. We know you guys are listening to that and read cleveland.com slash Browns. So Scott, from, from a passing standpoint, I will tell you that when they are inside the 20, if Baker Mayfield looks at his first read and pumps it, but doesn't throw or hesitates. And then like, if he gets to the second read and you can see him scanning and it's not there, and there's that sort of frozen moment, right? We all know what that's like, where it's like, he's going to go there. No, he's going to go there. And then it's like, okay, like I get, that's when I'm like, oh, well, good try. Because, and but maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't feel like the Browns maximize themselves offensively when, and now we're in scramble mode on second and seven from the 18 and Baker's rolling to his right, and he's looking for guys, he's looking for guys. There are teams, I think, where in that mode you'd feel very confident. That's just not, to me, where the Browns succeed. So when we think about them passing in the red zone, do you think that's a fair assessment by me that if it's on time, in rhythm, read one or read two, I like the chances. If we get past that, I don't like the chances. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of that this year. I mean, you know, the David Njoku pass was a good example of him just ripping one uh, in rhythm. I don't even know if Njoku was, was looking at that point uh, when yeah. that ball was passed. Um, but if you go back and watch that, it's it's the kind of play that we haven't seen as much of this year. And you do, 
I mean, there's no stats on how often, <laughs> how often he pumps and, and starts looking at uh, at his second read, but you do get the sense that it was maybe more fluid last year and the plays just like the ball was going somewhere and it went there on time. And that could be defenses, you know, maybe having a better handle on, on, on how Kevin Stefanski operates uh, in the red zone this year as opposed to last year. But yeah, there is a definite sense of just being more fluid and, and the ball kind of him not having to, to look around as much. Because I do feel like if you're a real threat to run as a quarterback, when you get outside the pocket and you start to move, if you start acting or looking like you're going to run, then sometimes you suck defenders up to come get you on the run, and then that opens up a throwing lane. It's not Baker's fault, but I don't feel like defenses have to react to him as a run threat that much because they think, well, you know, he's scrambling around at the 12. We can kind of wait to see if he crosses the line of scrimmage, then we'll tackle him at the eight. We don't have to go get him now. Where there's some quarterbacks in the league, it's like, you better go get him or he's going to spin past two guys and get in the end zone. So that's where I am on that. So how are they passing in the red zone when they do go to this side of it? So Baker Mayfield last season in the red zone completed 63% of his passes, 21 touchdowns, 32 first downs, zero picks. He was only sacked twice. And we know that he obviously was super efficient over the second half of the last season. I think just the red zone overall, like the entire season was a good example of, of him kind of at his best. You narrow that down to 10 yard line and in, which covers kind of most of your goal to go situations. I mean, it's Completion percentage wasn't as great. It was 56%, but he still had 17 touchdowns, 22 first downs, and again, no picks, and he wasn't sacked at all. So they were just super efficient in the red zone when they passed. They performed 47% better than the average offense uh, in that situation when they passed. Yeah. Wow. This, okay. this season, this season, Baker's completing only 50% of his passes in the red zone. That's four touchdowns, six first downs, no picks, but he's already been sacked four times. And I'm pretty sure two of those were on fourth downs. Pretty sure two of those were, were, were the fourth down fiascos. Um, but in those goal-to-goal situations, that's what really stands out because it's one of the big reasons for the struggles of the passing in the passing game and just how they've performed overall. Right. And really when you add in play action, it kind of stands out. Again, from 10 yards and in, the Browns are one of six passing out of play action this season. Three of the passes have been deemed catchable by Sports Info Solutions, which is where I got a lot of these red zone numbers. Now, that one of six includes Case Keenum. So Baker Mayfield by himself, 0 for 5 out of play action from 10 yards and in. Two, two passes have been considered catchable. Um, now, it's really difficult to understand why the Browns have had that kind of trouble passing deep in the red zone when Stefanski's offense is 5 of 5 over the last two seasons on two-point conversions. Like his two-point plays have been some of the greatest things we've seen from Stefanski. We saw, uh, like, the play call against the Vikings, getting Andy Janovich out wide open for a two-point conversion catch. Great play call. If it's not a two-point conversion, they're just not operating uh, and not executing the same way. Now, the Browns are much better near the goal line uh, when they were passing on a play action last year, 13 of 19, 10 touchdowns. They were third in the league in EPA when they passed out a play action. So, on all dropbacks and goal-to-go situations, the Browns are three of 13 passing this year with two touchdowns and two sacks. And their percentage of catchable passes thrown, 58%. That ranks 31st. Okay, so tell me why. So, so they have a good offensive line. They play three tight ends on a regular basis. 
anecdotally, I think most NFL fans would say, oh, this is a good place to throw to the tight end. People would say David Njoku is an ideal target at this place on the field because people love throwing to tall guys in the red zone. It is one of the great, again, like anecdotal things that Ohio State, the number of times that Ohio State got a tall receiver and everybody's like, oh, he's going to be a red zone threat. It's like he was never a red zone threat. He's just tall. It's not jumping center like a a jump ball in basketball, right? It's, It's more complicated than that. But there is a lot about body control and positioning and, and being able to like get leverage against a DB and that kind of thing. But it feels like the components are there. And again, Baker Mayfield is a guy that is traditionally viewed as an accurate quarterback who is about accuracy and efficiency. So, and, and again, we've seen that the reason, one of the things that my, I started off the pop, I said, ah, man, red zone, everybody struggles in the red zone. Honestly, Freddie kitchens might still be the coach if they've been better in the red zone. In 2019, I know, right? Mary Kay details all the stuff that was kind of wacky. Then the, the red zone failures early that season before Kareem Hunt could play was like everything wrong personified because I mean, that it was the Rams game, right? They took 10 shots from the one yard line and couldn't get in and lost the game. It feels like they have the pieces to the passing game, which is why to hear was it three of 13 to hear that stat. It's just like, what, what could it be, Scott? What could it be? They tried to get to Njoku three times in the red zone against the Bengals. The first two were from close range. They were both incomplete. And then there was the last one from what, the 18 or so. But as far as having three tight ends on the field, 13 personnel, we've talked before about how they lead the league by far. They've done it even more than they did last year. They're up to like 21% of the time. When they're in the red zone in 13 personnel, They've run out of that 86% of the time. Really? Like if they line up with three tight ends in the red zone and you're on defense, you got to be thinking run first. They've passed just 9%. That's 19 rushes versus two dropbacks. And out of those two dropbacks with three tight ends on the field, they're 0 for 1 with a sack. That stuns me. That feels like a long con by Kevin Stefanski that he's saving (laughs) throwing out of 13 personnel goal to go he's saving that for the afc championship game or something because that to me that throwing with three tight ends on the field from the six yard line feels like the epitome of everything this offense is designed to do and that they have tried it twice this whole year is maybe one of the most stunning stats i've heard on gotta watch the tape in the time we're doing this i would have said they go 13 personnel in goal to go situations all the time. And they throw out of it 65% of the time, because I know there've been times. And again, the guys pointed out on the broadcast, sometimes some of the best stuff they do, you know, when you have like three tight ends on one side or whatever, and maybe the defense thinks the outside tight end is going to go out in the route and the interior two tight ends are going to block. And the Browns will have the two outside guys block and the interior guy go out for a route. And you can really cross up a defense. And if the tight end or you send two out in route and you you cross them immediately at the line of scrimmage and you confuse the defense. And if you get a half step open from the six yard line with Baker Mayfield, you should be able to make that throw immediately. I can't believe it. What? what why is this? Why is Stefanski not using that more? I can't believe it. They they used uh, 13 personnel, 14. It was like 14 percent of the time. It was 
like 10% more than the average last year, right? But they weren't great in it. Like their success rate overall running and passing was under 50%. And I wondered over the off season, like, are they still going to do that as much? Uh, because with kitchens, Baker Mayfield really excelled when he had a lot of tight ends on the field. Uh, but it just didn't work the same way. Uh, it's definitely not passing. With, with Stefanski this year, they're, they're still running it more overall out of 13, like 63% of the time. They're successful passing like 56% of the time. He's 23 of 33. His passer rating is 87% with three tight ends on the field. I mean, that's not, that's not great. No touchdowns, one pick. And that's overall from anywhere. Uh, but huh. again, yeah, it is surprising that it just becomes such more of a drastic separation in running and passing on that. And maybe it is to long con. Maybe, maybe uh, at some point it switches and suddenly there's a ton of tight ends wide open in the end zone over the second half of the season. But it is that really stood out when I was looking at that. Okay. So the passing game is just like, eh, kind of in goal to go, especially, right? So trying to figure out what is going on with their passing game in the red zone is probably the hardest part of, of, of everything this week for me, because I, I like the pressure rate, like is Baker under more pressure and really it's a little bit, but not significantly. The Browns are using shotgun about the same amount of time. They're using motion about the same amount of time as last year. And I really came away with the passing issues with the belief that obviously lack of execution, obviously to blame, but also just, Maybe maybe this is an area where regression is something that is to be expected because again, like we said, they were really great last year, and there aren't a ton of teams who are, are really great multiple years. You know, we mentioned like Tennessee and the Niners and and the Packers. Some of those teams will go year to year, but you very see very few teams in there like beyond two years in a row, and you definitely don't see multiple teams in the top five, highly ranked in the top five year to year. So some of it could just be a regression in the fact that a defense is going to be more prepared after seeing you do this for an entire year, that kind of thing. But yeah, their passing issues, I think, have been the biggest mystery and the hardest thing to come away from saying, all right, yeah, they really need to do this or that, as opposed to rushing and some of the target issues they have that we'll get to. Send that along. Send that to that Browns has a good PR staff. Send them the thing about how they never throw out of 13 personnel in goal to go. Just a hey, FYI, hey, send this on to Kev kind of email. I'm sure they appreciate those. If anyone from Browns PR is listening right now, just uh, just a question. Do you guys like it when people suggest what the head coach should call, whether those people are fans or people on podcasts. I'm just I would assume they love it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a com- it's a community kind of thing, right? All hands on deck. It takes a village to score in the red zone. Everybody knows that. So, all right, Scott Pasco again, solving problems. I got to watch the tape. Not just here to criticize, here to help. Mm-hmm. All right. So now rushing, right? Rushing. What's up? And the answer is Kareem Hunt got hurt. All right. Let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> Like, is oh, that really only knew how big a part of it that was. <laughs> like, is that, that is the five. If, if someone, like, if you have to get out of your car and run into the grocery store right now, that was, a, that was the shortened version. Now Scott's going to like dig in for 15 minutes, but Kareem Hunt got hurt. That's your forward explanation. Yes. Yeah, so let's, let's enjoy the journey getting to that point. 
So the Browns were tied for 10th in EPA per rushing attempt last season in the red zone. It was 0.06. It sounds like a small number. For comparison, the Saints were first at 0.25. Um, so, it, I mean, there's a decent gap there, but it's still, you're tied for 10th. So you're not doing too bad. Um, again, that's in the red zone. Overall, when Browns rushed the ball last year, EPA per attempt was negative zero, negative 0.05, which ranks 16th. And I know it's probably hard for people to wrap their heads around what the Browns run game had a negative impact on their ability to score points last season. That's basically what that's saying, but you have to remember explosive plays define this run game. Chubb has consistently been a league leader in runs of 10 yards or more hunts also ranked high too. And when you're playing a game, those huge runs are obviously a big deal. We saw that with the 70 yarder against the Bengals, but in terms of measuring a player or an offense's success rate over the course of a game, those runs only count as one play a piece. The other plays matter too. That's why Chubb, has been ranked 19th, 37th, 20th, and 19th in success rate in his career as a runner. Boomer bust. We've labeled him with that before on this podcast. And I just want people to remember that as we move forward through this part, <clears throat> because we're not saying he's not a great running back. He excels at doing rare things that have a high degree of difficulty, you know, more so than maybe how he does like the consistent things at a not so high degree of difficulty if that makes sense we, we know he's really great at busting big runs and just those plays that are explosive so anyways back to the red zone I, I would like some time and usually when i come up with ideas these days it's for other people to do i really do think i wonder i don't i don't think i don't know i wonder about sort of nick chubb barry sanders comparisons because obviously physically and like the way they run is so different mm-hmm. but every time we talk about this with nick chubb Maybe it's just because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a 40-year-old guy. And when you think about explosive running backs, everybody in their 40s, you think about Barry Sanders. I mean, lots of people like that, but that's the epitome of that to me. But mm-hmm. that I don't know that Barry Sanders would have been the guy I wanted to hand it to on third and one, right? Because I, I don't know in terms of like putting his no, just like putting his head down and hitting the hole and pushing forward. He was always looking for explosiveness. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows Barry Sanders is a rare, rare running back, but it is an interesting analysis and trying to maybe put Nick Chubb in context historically of what other backs are really like this. And then what do you do? And I don't know if the Lions in the 80s were just slamming Barry Sanders into the line on third and one. I don't remember. Or were they trying other things? And did they wait for him to bust 60 yarders? But different body type, different running style. But I I. I think of them in similar ways. So we'll put a maybe an off-season note on that in comparing mm-hmm. Nick Chubb to sort of the most explosive running backs of the last 25 years who maybe weren't great short yardage guys. All right, go ahead. That's true. So in the red zone, Chubb was third last year in EPA per attempt. He was only behind Washington's Antonio Gibson and then Dalvin Cook of the Vikings. Uh, he had 11 touchdowns which were tied for third. So when the Browns turned to Chubb in the, in the red zone overall, he was getting them closer or even into the end zone. This season, Chubb ranks third among running backs in red zone rushing attempts with 28. And he's tied for second with 108 yards. He only has three touchdowns, however, which is one more than to Ernest Johnson. And speaking of DJ, he ranks fourth in the league in EPA per attempts in the red zone. He only has 12 carries though, but that's still pretty, pretty darn efficient. Chubb, meanwhile, ranks 12th in EPA per attempt in the red zone. 
He's at 0.05. Last year, he was at 0.21. Uh, so there's a little bit of a drop off there. Hunt's EPA was only 0.04 this year. He doesn't have enough carries really to qualify for the leaderboard, but he's kind of in the same boat overall in the red zone as Chubb. Now, I brought up Chubb's boomer bust tendencies because when he scored from the one yard line against the Bengals, it was a big deal. It wasn't like a remember where you were moment, big deal, but still something I think worth noting and realizing that that's not something that happens as much as you think it might. A step short of remember where you were. I noted it though. I do think there are Browns fans who love Nick Chubb, who have realized that's really not his jam, who then Mm -hmm. celebrate when it, when it goes well there, because it's a great player succeeding at a thing. That's not his best thing. I certainly noted that. Yeah. So Nick Chubb, when rushing from the five yard line or closer in his career, 44 carries, 15 touchdowns. That's a scoring rate of 34%. For comparison, we're going to bring up Derek Henry, who's a player that Chubb's always kind of held up against. He's a guy he's battled with for the league rushing title. He's also a guy who like Chubb is consistently among the league leaders in those explosive plays, those runs of 10 and 15 yards or more. Derrick Henry, 64 career carries from five yards and in 29 touchdowns. That's a scoring rate of 45%. So about 11% better than Nick Chubb. Now we get to Kareem Hunt. And if you watch Hunt run, you know, he is not shy about contact or getting tough yards. There was a play in the first drive against the Bengals where Nick Chubb kind of ran left. I think it was like a 22 yard carry. And he just sidestepped. I don't know if it was a safety or a cornerback, but he just sidestepped and like the dude wasn't even there. He just, and then he races for another, you know, 15 yards. And you know that if Kareem Hunt had had that ball, he's either low on his shoulder and bowling over that guy or trying to leapfrog him. Like there's no, there's no effortless little juke to the right and then off to the races. It's, it's just, he's just a different, a different style of runner. So in his career, from five yards and in, Kareem Hunt, 33 carries, 16 touchdowns. That's a scoring rate of 48%. So, yes, he's scoring at a much higher rate than Chubb, but even higher than Derrick Henry when he gets the ball so close to the uh, to the end zone. And if you just look at Hunt with the Browns from five yards and closer, 17 carries, eight touchdowns, 47% touchdown rate. Back it up to the 10, 10 yards and in, 24 carries, nine touchdowns with the Browns. Chubb has 84 carries, 18 touchdowns. So that's a difference of like 37% of the time to 21% yep. of the time. So if you're looking for solutions, more hunting the red zone, especially inside the 10, definitely inside the five. Now that would be a big change though, because through five games when Chubb and Hunt were still both playing this season, Chubb is still getting more carries uh, from 10 yards and closer. He had 10. Hunt had six. That's despite Hunt scoring on four of those six carries. Nick Chubb, one touchdown on his 10 carries. So getting Hunt back on the field, big deal. Don't know if it's going to happen this week. We haven't heard anything to make us believe it would happen this week, but uh, having him out there in the red zone, rushing the ball is, is good for the Browns. It is why they have hit on just this thing that is, this is it. This is maybe unusual. Maybe most teams don't pay two running backs like this. Maybe this is not where most teams invest to this degree. But for this team with this combo, it's right. 
and and it and it's because the styles are, are so different and i it's just interesting to me i hope people aren't like this anymore but i think there still is a tendency sometime with goal line backs it's like oh give it to the big back right yeah. do they just want to give it to the big guy they're listed as, as the same height chunk uh Chubb is nine pounds heavier. It's not about how big you are, but there is something to your style of running. And we see that Kareem Hunt, it's like if you could watch them just, if you watch them in practice for five carries each and watch their style, they're like, oh, no, that's the goal line guy. You'd see it right away. And that's not a criticism. But there's just something about how they go about it that Kareem Hunt is really an ideal goal line back. And so fantasy football people, I think the rest of his career in Cleveland, like at least Nick Chubb's going to get vultured on this stuff because I do think Nick Chubb is the guy for explosive plays to get you down the field. And then they're just going to have to pay him extra to not score touchdowns because (laughs) like you have, you just have to realize what the situation is. You have to deal with reality. And we understand, I don't know how this would change Scott. I don't know how Nick Chubb would change his style or who he fundamentally is, to become a much better red zone back because it's the offensive line is great. It's the same play callers and Kareem Hunt's just better at it, but I want Nick Chubb everywhere else. The other 80 yards of the field. I want Nick Chubb, no doubt about it. So they should keep these guys together and this should continue to work like this, but man, it's, this is absolutely where you miss Kareem. I think the, the real difference and what maybe plays into how well they do, uh, near the goal line is Nick Chubb wants to keep his feet on the ground. Like he wants to be balanced and in control and just his ideal route to the goal is running and getting in there, standing up, I guess it's just, just the way he runs. You you can see that. And with Chubb, obviously um, he's someone who we've seen leap over the line and he'll leapfrog players. And I mean, Nick Chubb would never do that. Can you imagine him trying to leapfrog a tackler? I don't know if that's ever happened. So, and that pays off when you get close to the goal line and you only need a few yards and just the guy selling out with his body and get into the end zone, no matter what. And keeping your feet is how you'd get 66 yard runs. Yeah. yeah. Because you don't, you know, Kareem hunt. I think at times there are, maybe you get to the second level and there's a guy coming and Kareem hunts instinct is to like throw his body sideways into that guy and try to get an extra three yards as he's being tackled. And Nick Chubb's instinct is, well, I'm going to put a move on this guy and go for another 40. And it's awesome. Kudos all around, but it's just different and it works. And by the way, my new nickname for Dearness Johnson is SSS Johnson. Do you know what that stands for? I'm sure it's snarky, but go ahead. <laughs> Small sample size Johnson. There because listen, man, and, and I'm just, there are people on this podcast. Some of you guys like were like, hey, Denver, that's it, man. And I said, that's not it. He had eight carries last week. Seven of them were in garbage time with with the game. They were just they needed they could have put a they could have put you out there to run out the clock. He had seven carries in the last two drives. He had one carry. Otherwise, the week before he had four carries yeah. and they, they 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 don't think it. So I don't it doesn't matter if anybody else thinks it. that's not where it is. Denver was desperation and kudos to him for doing it. It was never going to be more than that. So we have to move on from the idea that like, Hey, next man up is like, no, both Nick Chubb and Kareem hunt are special. And no matter how good their line is, what gets this running game over the top 
the, the line is the baseline, is the foundation. If you don't have a great line, it doesn't matter as much how special your backs are. But for the Browns to be the Browns, they need a special guy carrying the ball. And they have two. And the third guy is fine. But please, let's stop pretending that he's going to do anything on a regular basis that is anything close to Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. What Dearness Johnson did in Denver was amazing and was a potential season saver for real. They needed that win and he helped them get it when they were in desperate straits, but he was fresh on a Thursday night when everybody else was worn down, that Denver defense wasn't very good. And we just have to be realistic. So we can't view every person who does well in one game and think, well, that's it. That no, it's not. So don't like, don't, and it's almost like don't underestimate Kareem Hunt to the extent that you think Dearness Johnson can come close to filling his role because he can't, and the Browns don't think he can. All right. Well, two things. Number one, I want to go on record saying I never thought that he should have stepped into Kareem Hunt's role, period, full stop. Um, but I did think after the Denver game that he, I felt like maybe he'd earned the opportunity to get more opportunities when Chubb came back. But knowing where we are now and knowing what happened last year after the Dallas game, it's clear that they do not want to have to count on anybody other than Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb in the backfield unless they absolutely have to. Yep. Okay. Just a note. All right. We're going to come back. <laughs> Who should they throw to? We'll finish up the red zone talk next on got to watch the tape. Is David and Joku number one? You got your targets list here for the red zone, Scott. What's who, who, who has been getting it, who should be getting it. And I do wonder about like, was Odell getting targeted much in the red zone? And for the things that have changed or haven't changed with Odell gone, I wonder for the receivers, how that is affected at all in terms of red zone snaps and red zone targets in the new receiver world. So what do we got? Right, so let's start with last year because this I had to go back and double check this because it just I couldn't believe it at first. So last year, Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, Kareem Hunt, they combined for 24 targets from 10 yards or closer in the red zone. So these are guys who are being targeted in the end zone uh, in close range. 24 targets, they combined for 22 touchdowns. Oh, what? Yeah, they scored touchdowns on all but two of the targets. That's that's efficiency, folks. They all had at least three touchdown catches last season. Say, ten say, yards the, or say the list again. Who was it again? Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, Kareem Hunt. Wow. Okay. Or Kareem Hunt led the led the Browns in receiving touchdowns, so that makes sense. So uh, so part of this is, by the way, again, with some of the passing stuff this year. We talked about the absence of Kareem Hunt affecting the the rushing effectiveness in the red zone his absence also hurts the passing game in the red zone and by the way they didn't have Jarvis for a long time so that is two again those are two injury related things that two of their best guys down here have been hurt for extended periods right now there are I went through and looked it's like different routes um, trying to find some sort of uh, string to pull on like how they accomplished all that, but there really weren't any routes that, that stuck out. They, they scored three touchdowns on big routes, which is basically going out and turning left or right. But that's really it. Nothing else uh, was really, you know, they scored seven of their touchdowns on this route. It wasn't anything like that. It was really three with the dig routes and then a bunch of separate routes with one or two touchdowns at the most. 
So obviously, like you said, they've only had Landry for four full games and Hunt has played six of nine. That really puts a dent in that group of guys that Baker was really targeting when he got near the end zone last season. Uh, this season, Hooper has three targets. Higgins, Landry, OBJ, and Njoku all have two apiece. Uh, again, this is from, from 10 yards and in. That group has combined for one touchdown on the 11 targets. Last year, OBJ was in the top five in targets. He only had two touchdowns, I believe. I didn't include him in the, in the group, but um, okay. he was targeted this year. Obviously, he's in that, that, um, that group with two apiece. So they don't have anybody kind of pulling away from the pack. Jarvis Landry, overall in the red zone last year, had double the targets of anybody. Actually, okay. I think uh, of everybody except Hooper, who had nine, so almost double him. But he was far and away the guy that uh, got the ball the most. That didn't lead to a ton of touchdowns uh, overall in the red zone. Um, he was, I think, was 12th in EPA per target. He was bottom, he's below 10th in EPA per target for the Browns in red zone opportunities. So it's not like throwing to Jarvis Landry was leading to a ton of touchdowns and points, but he was the safety valve and he was the guy that Baker's going to look to most. He's still here. He's back. So that's good. Johnny Stanton, one touchdown, one target. There's your efficiency. Get Johnny football on the field in the red zone. Problem solved. Stop. Stop. (laughs) You're cutting your legs out of your whole argument. More fullback (laughs) passes. All right. Some more serious ways that maybe they can, uh, maybe they can turn this around. Uh, get more out of play action in the red zone. I wrote last week how the Browns really dialed back play action with Baker Mayfield. He ended last year using it about 30% of the time. This is overall anywhere on the field, Uh, but he was just at 20% in his three starts prior to the Bengals game. Uh, And that's despite continuing to be really good in it. Um, He just completes more passes and and it's just more efficient overall when they use play action. They were back to 30% against the Bengals. Uh, and Mayfield had one touchdown pass out of play action, but but they used it just twice in the red zone. He was 0 for 2. I mean, you're really saying, you know, do better here. But I think more play action maybe gives you more opportunities for Baker to excel in the red zone. That's, that's one of the suggestions here. Uh, one is one we just kind of talked about, getting Landry and Hunt on the field together in the red zone. This means bringing Hunt back. Like we said, we're recording this Wednesday morning. We haven't they have designated him for return off IR. It um, sounds like he's not playing this week. Right. I mean, right. That is just coming across the feed I mean, uh, from Mary Kay. Yeah. I mean, it's been three weeks, so he's, he would be eligible, but everybody said four to six weeks when he was hurt. So we're not there yet. But again, having Landry and Hunt, having your slot guy, the guy that you throw to most in the red zone, along with Kareem Hunt, who has really excelled, obviously, in the screen game this season. And you do a lot of that out of play action. Like we mentioned before, that's that's huge. That's just a big part of your best case scenarios for moving the ball and scoring points. And you just you have not had that and you have not had them together out there in quite a while. And then the other thing was just like we said, more more hunt carries near the goal line. It just makes sense. Now, you might not get all this and, you know, for another three, three weeks, maybe we don't know when Kareem Hunt comes back and how long it'll take him to get up to speed and be the guy that he was. Uh, But it's clear the Browns just operated better um, and scored more when he was part of this, you know, he kind of factors into all three, like I said, play action, 
being out there with Landry and giving you multiple, op- you know, multiple options for guys who just have a nose for, for getting in the end zone and then just carrying the ball. So as we said uh, a while ago, a lot of this has to do with Kareem Hunt's injury. And uh, I believe that's true, but um, execution wise, it just needs to be better. And maybe we saw a step in the right direction against the Bengals. We'll, we'll find out more as we go. I do think that's the conclusion of this, right? Scott is that, There might be some regression involved, and that makes sense, and we just have to accept that. Mm -hmm. But there are clear injury issues that should be resolved later this season that will help. And there there are some things that maybe they're working it out a little bit, and Stefanski's getting a handle on, all right, well, what really should we be doing here? Maybe we should do a little bit more of this or that, and the Bengals game showed a little bit of that so it hasn't been good but I think you can see the light at the end of the tunnel at least to some degree yeah and I think so and I mean it's still if you look at their their red zone trips against the Bengals like I, I even looked at penalties like maybe are they getting a lot of penalties in the red zone and I guess the Bengals yeah they, they had four red zone trips three of those trips inside the red zone uh, included offensive penalties. The other drive had the fumble, the uh, the Landry pitch to Chubb that didn't work out. So I guess the Bengals, that was an issue. But really, that's the only game. You have to go back to the Vikings, Wyatt Teller holding from the five uh, to find another red zone penalty against the Browns. Okay. Um, so, so that really hasn't been it. It's just, you know, they on all three of these, you know, you get to third down and – Something's got to happen. They kind of got saved by the by the uh, DPI call on one drive on the first red zone trip. They let you know after that they score the touchdown. They're getting deeper into the series of plays in the red zone this year, and that just goes back to just how they're not as efficient. Before we leave, where are you on the Landry Chubb option in the red zone? Are you pro or con? I liked it. It was just Landry made a bad pitch. I mean, if he makes that pitch, yeah, there's. There's, I don't know if it was a safety or a corner that Chubb would have had to have gotten past, but one dude in open space, um, I'll take Nick Chubb in that situation. Uh, and he also had a blocker in the end zone dealing with a receiver. So I thought it was a decent play. It's just, you know, you, you make a bad pitch and everything blows up. And the worst thing about that is they lost so much yards that they're not going for it on fourth down. So, yeah, it's one of those things where when it doesn't work, it's like, what were you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's one of those things that's like, oh, the receiver made a poor sort of decision in the moment and poor execution of an option pitch. Your mm-hmm. receiver? Oh, wow. That's a shock. You mean a thing that it's not really his job to do? And I know Jarvis is actually very flexible and, and talented as a receiver that he, he he can do some things with the ball in his hands that that other receivers maybe aren't. We've seen him throw it. We've seen him do some things. But I just thought that was... I don't know. Sometimes creativity, right? Is it creativity yeah. from strength or creativity from desperation? And that one to me felt like a little bit of like, I don't know what else we should try. Let's do this. And it's like, nope, not that. Not I clearly I, practiced it. It's just a bad I, pitch. It's going to happen. Yeah. I, I think there are things that, that can get better here. So I think people should take that away from this. All right. We appreciate you guys making Gotta Watch the Tape. Part of your week. We know you're reading about the Browns at cleveland.com slash Browns blue banner there to click on that to become a Browns insider. Then you get the text. Then you get the special story in your email every week. Like it's, uh, it's quite a good deal. It's, it's quite, quite a good deal. And we're hitting the stretch run here and we'd love to have you guys along for the ride in every single way we cover this team for 
Scott Patsko. I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks, you guys, for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape. <laughs>